Ragbag presents I Like the Sound, a celebration of the sound of things. I like the sound. I like the sound. I like the sound. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. A celebration of the sound of things. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. I like the sound of one person clapping in a crowd. I like the sound a Tolstoy novel makes when you flick through it quickly. I like the sound of a fork piercing the plastic of a microwave meal five or six times, then the sound of it being rested down on the rotating plate. I like the sound of a jar of pills when you shake it and there's only one tablet left. A muted rattle. I like the sound a grape makes when you squelch it between your teeth. Or maybe I just like the taste and the feeling of it. Maybe the fact that it's all the way in my mouth means the sound doesn't reach my ears and I'm just imagining the sound, the sound of that squelch. I like the sound I imagine a velociraptor would make. I like the sound of the word velociraptor. I like the sound of rain falling into an empty plastic cup. I like the sound of silence, both the Simon and Garfunkel song and the actual sound of silence. I like the sound of a lemon being cut in half. I like the sound of the liquid trickling into the juicer. I like the sound of some of that lemon juice, that rogue 5% that dribbles over the side onto the counter. I like the sound of me wiping it up. I like the sound of a tennis ball hitting a brick wall. I like the sound of a pin-pricked balloon that fails to pop but instead slowly deflates, dying with dignity. I like the sound a radiator makes when you run your fingers gently across it. I like the sound an empty foil wrapper makes when you stand on one in the street. I like the sound of a mispronounced name. In an article entitled Eating With Your Ears, Charles Spence of Oxford University argues, Sound is the forgotten flavour sense. You can tell a lot about the texture of a food, think crispy, crunchy and crackly, from the mastication sounds heard whilst biting and chewing. The latest techniques from the field of cognitive neuroscience are revolutionising our understanding of just how important what we hear is to our experience and enjoyment of food and drink. A growing body of research now shows that by synchronising eating sounds with the act of consumption, one can change a person's experience of what they think that they are eating. The traditional view 
that sound has little role to play in our flavour experiences contrasts with a position adopted by a number of contemporary modernist chefs such as Heston Blumenthal who for one is convinced that you need to engage all of a diner's senses if you want to create truly memorable dishes. Just take the following quote from the cover sheet of the tasting menu at the Fat Duck restaurant in Bray. Eating is the only thing we do that involves all the senses. I don't think we realise just how much influence the senses actually have on the way that we process information from mouth to brain. Back in 2007, researchers from the University of Leeds came up with an equation to quantify just how important the crispness of the bacon, especially the sound of the crunch, is to the perfect BLT sandwich. Crucially, crispness was rated as a key element in creating the ideal offering. Dr. Graham Clayton, the lead researcher on the project, stated that we often think it's the taste and smell of bacon that consumers find most attractive, but our research proves that texture and the crunching sound is just, if not more, important. Another example of the unrecognised importance of sound comes from the following anecdote. Some years ago, Researchers working on behalf of Unilever asked their brand loyal customers what they would change about the chocolate covered Magnum ice cream, a product that first appeared on the shelves in Sweden back in 1989. A frequent complaint that came back concerned all of those bits of chocolate falling onto the floor and staining one's clothes when biting into the ice cream. This feedback was promptly passed back to the product development team who set about trying to alter the formulation so as to make the chocolate coating adhere to the ice cream better. In so doing, the distinctive cracking sound of the chocolate coating was lost. And when the enhanced product offering was launched, consumers complained once again. It turned out that they did not like the new formulation either. The developers were confused. They'd fixed the original problem the consumers have been complaining about. Nevertheless, people simply did not like the resulting product. Subsequent analysis revealed that it was that distinctive cracking sound that consumers were missing. It turned out that this was a signature feature of the product experience, even though the customers, not to mention the market researchers, did not necessarily realise it. Ever since, Unilever has returned to the original formulation, thus ensuring a solid cracking sound every time one of their consumers bites into one of their distinctive ice cream bars. In fact, once you realise just how important the sound is to the overall multi-sensory experience, you start to understand why it is that the food marketers tend to spend so much of their time trying to accentuate the crispy, crunchy and crackly sounds in their advertisements. It should come as little surprise to find that a number of the world's largest food producers are now starting to utilise the cognitive neuroscience 
to the multi-sensory design and modification of their food products. Kellogg's, for one, certainly believes that the crunchiness of the grain, what the consumer hears and feels in the mouth, is a key driver of the success of their cornflakes. Sound is the forgotten flavour sense. Flavour sense. The distinctive cracking sound of the chocolate. say that because I, I realised today there was something that I quite like the sound of and um, I was hanging the washing out in my back garden and all I could hear was seagulls and they were just chirping away and it just made me feel like I was on the beach or it was just a really relaxing summer's day and it turns out my next door neighbour she sent me a photo there's three little seagull chicks on her roof and there must have been a nest somewhere and that's why there's seagulls all over our area at the moment but I just realised how much I love the sounds of, of the birds and it's just really relaxing and kind of takes you away from normality so as much as hanging out washing is not an enjoyable pastime being outside and listening to nature sounds like that is very nice I like the sound of a bonfire in the rain. I like the sound of a malfunctioning firework. I like the sound of two people singing the song Matchstock Men and Matchstock Cats and Dogs, but one of them is saying Matchstick instead of Matchstock, and the two pronunciations together create their own kind of harmony. 
I like the sound of someone guessing the answer to a yes-no question. Yes? I like the sound of a packed laundry basket falling down the stairs. I like the sound of freshly baked bread. Sound? Yes, the sound. Hold a loaf up to your ear sometime. Listen. I like the sound of a wet shave, but not enough to have one. I like the sound of a cat's footsteps on gravel. I like the sound of fingers drumming on a single sheet of paper. I like the sound that little spring thing makes when you're taking out an old battery. I like the sound of a politician stalling for time while they try to remember which answer they were supposed to give to that awkward question. I like the sound of someone biting into a fresh apple. I like the sound of my cat's footsteps, not on gravel, but on a hardwood floor. You know, it's funny because my kids say this a lot. Like they will be listening to something and say, oh, that's so satisfying. (laughs) So they, they pay a lot of attention to sounds. so satisfying that's so satisfying that's so satisfying <laughs> so they they pay a lot of attention to sounds This is the sound of the poet Christian Bock listing all of the English words that don't contain vowels. Syzygy, pickstip, gypsy, pygmy, gyms, jinxink, tricyc, tristics, spyglyph, slicel, brr, brr, glycel, sylphs, fly, flyby, skyby, tis, tisk, nimnims, wyworms, hmm, sty, styreal, flyfeards, lymphcyst, weirds which lynch, wry, mythilinks, Cry by inth, cum cruth grip sticks, mist winds dry dryly, shy by shh, myth hymns, thy myrrh, my rhythms. This is a song with what, to me, is an unpronounceable name, composed by Italian singer Adriano Celentano. The song is intended to sound to its Italian audience as if it is sung in English, spoken with an American accent. 
vaguely reminiscent of Bob Dylan. However, the lyrics are deliberately unintelligible gibberish, with the exception of the words, All right! Celentano's intention with the song was not to create a humorous novelty song, but to explore the communication barriers. He says, Ever since I started singing, I was very influenced by American music and everything Americans did. So at a certain point, because I like American slang, which for a singer is much easier to sing than Italian, I thought that I would write a song which would only have as its theme the inability to communicate. And to do this, I had to write a song where the lyrics didn't mean anything. In this case, Salantano exemplifies the linguistic concept of glossolalia. This is the phenomenon where someone uses a foreign language which they normally cannot speak. He uses sounds borrowed from American English which form no words at all and therefore have no discernible meaning. Glossolalia or speaking in tongues is a phenomenon in which people speak words that are apparently in languages unknown to the speaker. One definition used by linguists is the fluid vocalising of speech-like syllables that lack any readily comprehended meaning, in some cases as part of religious practice, in which it is believed to be a divine language unknown to the speaker. Glossolalia is practised in Pentecostal and Charismatic Christianity, as well as in other religions. Xenoglossy is a related term referring to the putative paranormal phenomenon in which a person is able to speak or write a language he or she could not have acquired by natural means. Which brings us to the Crazy Frog, a 2005 ringtone that became a hit single and a series of hit albums and merchandise, etc, etc. You know, it's easy to write the crazy frog off as just an annoying novelty act. The frog's original name was The Annoying Thing, after all. But maybe there's an argument that the crazy frog is a key part of a long-standing tradition of gibberish in pop lyrics. There is something different about the crazy frog because it didn't start as music. That gibberish noise that the frog became famous for comes from a sound effect produced by Daniel Marmdahl in 1997 while attempting to imitate the sound of a two-stroke engine. This is what a two-stroke engine sounds like.
I like the sound of a single cricket lost in a field chirping to himself. I like the sound of the street cleaning car with its casually rotating bristles. I like the sound of a creaky door that's been oiled, but still it emits that tiny rebellious creak amidst a fog of WD-40. I like the sound of a broken harmonium being kicked across a playground by a gang of youths. I like the sound of a really old person saying the word youths, as though they're somehow referring to a different species. I like the sound of an unexpected sneeze. I like the sound of wooden planks being stacked. I like the sound of a Jenga tower falling. I like the sound of a broken down train attempting to restart. I like the sound people make when they don't understand a joke and they're politely attempting to figure it out. I like the sound of an overloaded glove box dribbling its contents onto the passenger's foot space. I like the sound of a broccoli stalk snapping in half. I Like The Sound was written, presented and produced by myself, Frank Burton. A complete list of source material can be found in the show notes. Special thanks to Manda Rin from the band Biss, who you heard earlier on talking about the sound of seagulls. You also heard Sheetal Singh, who records music under the name Forest Bees, talking about how her children respond to the sounds that they like. Both of these incredible artists were interview guests on my other podcast, Ragbag. Check out their interviews and listen to the Ragbag podcast. My website is frankburton.co.uk. I currently have three books available to buy, the short story collection A History of Sarcasm, the novel 100, and the first in the Ragbag series of novels, Everything I Am. The second one will be out very soon. The audiobook version is available on Bandcamp. I hope you enjoyed this first episode. If you did, please do share it around, subscribe, give us a rating and review. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Ragbag Presents. Follow us. Let us know what you like the sound of. Why not?